This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for April 30th, 2023. The title of the message is Gospel Servants, Part 2. Good morning. Well, if you would open your Bibles with me, we continue in our morning series through Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Chapter 2, just to give you a little bit of context, um, I split this section, verses 19 to 30, into two parts, uh, because after uh, Paul gives us uh, the humble service and sacrifice of Christ in the gospel in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, he gives us two examples of what that, what the mind of Christ looks like in people's lives, and he gives us He gave us Timothy's example uh, in verses 19 uh, to 24. And this week, we're going to look at Epaphroditus' example. So since since the reading and preaching has been prayed for, uh, let's let's move on. Let's move uh, to the reading of God's word. And and, uh, just a reminder of the response to scripture uh, at the end of it all there on page three. Hear now then the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 25. And I, and I trust uh, in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, And has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Recently, I went to a meeting that uh, was geared uh, mostly towards uh, pastors and church leaders, but there were um, interspersed among us all were uh, lay members, regular members of respective churches represented through by the church leaders and the pastors. And so we would go around each table because it was made up of tables. We'd go around each table introducing ourselves and our ministries and the churches that we served. And so you would hear every once, you would hear often, I am pastor so-and-so, from, you know, so-and-so community church. And, you know, I introduced myself. I'm uh, James Lim, pastor at Faith uh, Presbyterian Church of Long Beach in Big C. Knowles. And friends introduced themselves. And there are other ministry leaders uh, of parachurch ministries uh, who work alongside the local churches. But interspersed among all of these pastors and ministry leaders were lay people. And it was really interesting to hear 
you know, amidst all the titles and, and pastors and, uh, of churches and ministries, you would hear these lay people going, I'm, I'm just a member of, of this and that church. I'm just a member here to be blessed by all of you. And I'm just a member of this ministry. And uh, one man stood up finally after uh, enough times that, that these uh, lay ministers or lay, lay members, you know, kept saying, I'm just a, a member. He stood up and gently and lovingly and, and probably with, with, uh, with love in his heart said, you know, don't say I'm just a member. N- nobody is just a member. You're a precious member of the body of Christ, this brother said, that you were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And he was just reminding these, these members that they are precious, they're important, they're not less than, that, that we are all one people in Christ Jesus, that we are all integral, important, essential members of the body of Christ. That pastors, elders, deacons, officers are no more, no less important than, uh, um, than all of you who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ. And, and so sometimes I think we, we think that, that, that we are all, that we, that we think we're just members because we don't have a title or an office. But every, each and every one of you are important. To the, to the life and fellowship and ministry of this church, to me and to one another, that you are not just a member of Faith Presbyterian Church. You are precious, essential, and indispensable members of this body, the family of God. And so, so let me just put it this way. There's no such thing as just a member. This morning, as we continue in our passage here, beginning in verse uh, 25, Paul reminds us of this truth in the life and the example of Epaphroditus. That he shows us uh, in the life of Epaphroditus that you don't need an office or a title to be considered uh, a servant of the Lord. Like Epaphroditus, who had no uh, official title or office, as we'll, go, we'll see in a little bit, Uh, reminds us that you and I, we are all precious, important members of the body of Christ, that we all have the great privilege and responsibility, like Epaphroditus, like Timothy, like Paul, to humbly serve the Lord with the mind of Christ. And so this morning, let's see what that looks like. First, we are all humble servants called to serve our fellow Christians in the gospel. Last week, we looked at Timothy's humble uh, Christ-like service as a pastor of the church. He had an office. He had a title. He was ordained. He was special, set apart to do the work of ministry. But here we see Epaphroditus's humble Christ-like ministry, not as a pastor, but as a lay member of the Philippian church. Uh, as we'll see, the Philippian church had heard that Paul was imprisoned and sent Epaphroditus, they gathered money, collected uh, offerings uh, for Paul, gave it to Epaphroditus, commissioned him to, to make the 800-mile trek from Philippi to Rome in order to serve Paul 
in prison. And in those days, I think I've mentioned this before, if you were imprisoned in a Roman jail, the the Roman guards, they didn't give you food or clothing. You needed somebody who cared for you to bring them in each and every day. Water uh, and food and clothing. And if you were sick, medicine. Uh, All the creature comforts that uh, our modern prison system has, they didn't have them. And so if you had no one to care for you, you had nothing in those Roman prisons. And so it was very important uh, that the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus because otherwise Paul would would have been abandoned. No food, no clothing. And, And so this also probably would have applied to Paul's house arrest as well. And so here... Here, now, Paul, in the writing of this letter, has given, Paul wrote the the letter of Philippians and gave it to Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is being sent back to Philippi before Paul could come. And so he's carried this letter. And so this is Paul's personal words to the Philippian church with regards to the messenger, the one who took the letter And so Paul tells us who Epaphroditus is to him. And in doing so, he shows us who we are to one another in the gospel. So let's look at these, uh, beginning in verse uh, 25. Who, who, Who are we to one another in the gospel? Paul begins by telling us, who Epaphroditus is, and, and, and therefore, by implication, who we are to one another. That, that, that Paul tells us that Epaphroditus is a fellow brother in the Lord. Uh, he's adopted into God's family. He is bought and purchased by the blood of Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And so Epaphroditus is family to Paul. He is a brother to Paul in Christ. He traveled hundreds of miles on foot or by horse from Philippi to Rome, and he almost died, as we'll see. He almost died either on the way or when he got there through illness or some kind of injury, we're not sure, but he he almost died in order to minister to Paul's need. And this reminds us who we all are to one another in Christ who we are or who we ought to be to one another in the gospel. I think maybe sometimes we too flippantly and we take for granted that calling each other brothers and sisters, right? Uh, Oh, well, you know, it's, you know, it's so interesting that in, in the African-American church, you know, people don't normally call them, call one another by their first names only. They say brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and, uh, and I, I, I hope we can adopt that uh, more as, uh, as a part of our culture, that we truly would see one another as family in Christ. Uh, not not uh, a second-hand or a second-class family to, in our hearts, but, but real, true, deep family in the household of God. Why? Because we're all one family in Christ through our adoption into God's family, into God's household. And that's no small thing. Friends, uh, brothers and sisters, I, 
I hope that it would transform the way that we engage with one another, the way that we love one another, the way that we uh, fellowship with one another, the way that we interact with one another, that we would truly see each other as family, bought and paid for, born again to a living hope, adopted into God's family. And, and here's one, another way to think about it, that we are family in Christ for eternity. I hope that's something that excites you, that blesses you. Uh, our earthly family is only as long as our earthly ties. But our spiritual family in Christ, through the Spirit, is, is eternal. And so we ought to see it that way. We ought to operate that way. And I think I've mentioned this before, that, that the blood of Christ is thicker than, than our earthly blood toward one another. Let's move on. He is also not only a fellow brother in Christ, but he is a fellow worker in the gospel, a co-laborer. Paul uses the language here to refer to his fellow Christians who helped him uh, in the ministry and the mission of the gospel. In this way, every member of the church is a minister and a missionary in the general office of a Christian, that, that all, all, everything that we are called to do as believers in Christ we ought to do in a general way. Uh, everybody has an obligation and a duty and a joyful duty at that, a blessed privilege to share the gospel, right? To give an answer for the hope that you have, to love one another as Christ has loved us, uh, to do all the things that, that believers ought to do. And in doing so as a church, we are all uh, co-workers in the ministry of the church. You are, you are not recipients, uh, consumers as Christians, but you, we are all co-laborers together. We share. This is, that's what fellowship means, right? It's not just a social time uh, for half an hour before church starts, but fellowship is a, is a way of life together. It is a community. Uh, it, it, it's not just a, uh, an hour with coffee and donuts or whatever snacks, but... True fellowship is engaging uh, intimately our lives with the lives of, of each other. And when we do that, we are co-laborers. And, and brothers and sisters, in the same way that Paul is calling Epaphroditus a fellow worker, you are fellow workers with me. Um, you know, I can't invite all the people you know to, to, to come to our church. I can't invite your neighbors, your coworkers, your family. I can't go and uh, share the gospel with those family that you that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And in as much as you do those things as as believers, as as members of the church, you are a coworker with me. Uh, we do ministry together. I'm looking forward to this summer. Uh, Vacation Bible School. I'm really thankful for for uh, Tammy Brandon who is heading it all up and all the volunteers that we have already. But but the work of Vacation Bible School is evangelism and edification for our covenant children and for the neighborhood children who will come. Any any child who comes 
comes to hear the gospel, to be evangelized. We do all of that together. It's not just me. I'm not, I'm not a one-man show here. So in as much as we do this together as the Church of Jesus Christ, we are co-workers, fellow laborers in the ministry of the gospel. And I can't count the number of times all the interactions that you have with one another. When you guys are going through difficulties, uh, tragedies, trials, tribulations, suffering, a diagnosis that just devastates you, difficulties in your marriage, uh, difficulties in your relationship with your children, difficulties in your relationship with one another. As you encourage each other, help one another, give one another uh, advice uh, to exhort, uh, to point them to what the Bible teaches about how to, to conduct yourselves in these situations, you are co-workers with me in pointing one another to Jesus. Right? I can't get, I, you know, I, sometimes I think that having a pastor um, seems to um, be a way in which uh, members of the church say, well, you know, pastor's going to do that. I don't need to do that. And I, I just want to relieve you of that misconception that uh, we are all ministering to one another. Right? All the one another's that we see in Scripture are for, to, for you. <laughs> I'm included, but they're all for you to love one another, encourage one another, correct one another, receive one another, accept one another. Uh, encourage, uh, uh, rebuke and correct one another in love when, when necessary and at the right time. And so Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus exemplifies the priesthood of all believers, which, we, which Martin Luther rediscovered, that we all serve one another and that pastors are not high priests who are mediators between you and God. There's only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so over and over again, we see throughout the scriptures that we are a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, Paul says, uh, Peter says, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that we, mo- that we together, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9, we together may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so everything we do for the advancement of the gospel makes us fellow workers with each other. He is also a fellow soldier in the gospel. In Ephesians 2, Paul says every Christian has to put on the full armor of God because we are what? We are soldiers uh, of God in Christ Jesus. And as we do the work of the gospel, we fight as soldiers of the gospel. Earlier in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, Paul uh, says that the Philippian church are fellow, uh, have, we have we fellow participants in the work of ministry, and he says, striving side by side for the gospel. That's, that's warrior language. Shoulder to shoulder, keeping the battle line drawn against uh, the attacks of Satan and moving, marching forward as the army of God uh, to evangelize and to share the gospel, to invite people to come. 
to love our neighbor as ourselves, to glorify God, to worship him, and to live together as the people of God. In helping Paul, Epaphroditus, is helping Paul fight the good fight of faith. And what does that make him? A fellow soldier of Christ. And this reminds us, friends, brothers, and sisters, that we are all soldiers of Christ. It reminds us again, as I had preached, you know, in the previous, uh, in the previous uh, set of messages on the, the full armor of God, uh, that we are in wartime. We are in wartime and not uh, on vacation. We are on a battleship where everyone has a job to do, and it's not a luxury cruise ship where we, we go to God in prayer and say, Lord, you know, can you just get me this? Can you get me that? Rather, it is wartime walkie-talkie to the Lord uh, for help in our time of need, to fight battles, to give support, uh, to give cover, to fight for us. And so we are all fellow soldiers in the army of the Lord. In this light, in sending Epaphroditus home, right? he's sending Epaphroditus home because he'd gone ill and nearly died. Uh, as we'll see in verse 30, Paul is sending a wounded warrior back home to his church family. Uh, over the past 15, 20 years, uh, we have, I've had friends, I've had, and many of you have friends and family who had gone off to war. Some of them came back uh, with great deficits, with injuries, with PTSD, wounded. And they come home to a family who is going to love them and nurture them and care for them. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's, as a general, sending one of his foot soldiers back because he's been injured and, and uh, back to his family. And this is what we all ought to be. This is what we all ought to do. Uh, R. Kent Hughes says this. Here's the picture. Epaphroditus was a layman whom we would never have heard uh, if it were not for Paul's brief reference here. Epaphroditus served in no public capacity. He did not shepherd a flock as did Timothy. He did not take the gospel to an unreached area. He did not receive special revelation. And he wrote nothing. We must understand that to serve in some unnoticed, unrecognized place in the body of Christ is as much the work of Christ as is public ministry. Epaphroditus was remarkable. He held himself responsible to God by the same standard of faithfulness to the church in Philippi. Oh, it's the same standard of faithfulness that Paul used for himself. No wonder Paul singled the young man out as an example to the church in Philippi where so many were looking out for themselves rather than others. Epaphroditus had put on the mind of Christ, taking on the humble life of an unsung servant. The Philippians needed to see the young man for the man he was and receive him as such. This is probably why Paul writes with such affection as he does uh, to the Philippian church and about Epaphroditus that uh, 
Epaphroditus being a lay member, someone who uh, was zealous for the Lord and wanted to serve Paul and the people of God and to further the work of ministry, he must have sacrificed whatever work he, he had. Maybe he was a farmer. Maybe he left uh, during the off-season. Or, or maybe he had a job, uh, a vocation, and he decided to forego making the money. Or maybe the church kind of like a short-term mission, raise money to support him for the time that he would be ministering to Paul. But the point here is that Paul recognized Epaphroditus's service uh, as a humble servant uh, and as uh, a beloved brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow servant with whom he had great affection for. And so Paul then calls us each and every one of us, to be that for one another. Uh, One of the ways that I think we could do this, uh, in addition to the ways that Epaphroditus uh, ministered to to Paul, is to encourage one another in the gospel, to preach the gospel to one another, uh, pointing each other to Jesus for everything, pointing each other to all the spiritual resources that we have in Christ, for every situation. So when we're lonely, we point each other to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who comforts us and consoles us. That by the Holy Spirit, we are united to Christ by faith so that we are always with Christ, always in Christ, who is our faithful Savior and friend. Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission, he says, behold, I will always be with you always to the end of the age. Or in the Old Testament, God the Father says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So what we're doing is when somebody is lonely and they need friendship and companionship, you could be that friend and companion for them, but even more importantly, point them to the friendship that they have in Christ and that they're never really alone. And when we find our true friend, In Christ, we will never be lonely. And all the other friendships that we have in church or or our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is like icing on the cake. It's even better when we have uh, the friendship and the companionship of our fellow family members in Christ. Or when we're discouraged and struggling in our faith, we point each other to the grace that we already have in Christ We remind one another of how much God has loved us and how we are saved by grace, not by works, not by anything that we've done, but by faith alone in Christ alone who gave himself for us. What greater sacrifice and example of love is there so that without a doubt you know that God loves you? And it is in, on that bedrock foundation of knowing that, God's lo- that God loves you that then you can continue to build up your faith and your life and who you are and your identity to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, to love others because you have been loved. Because he who did not spare his one and only son, how will he then not give you all things? And so... We ought to point one another to the gospel. And he not only, he goes on then to talk about uh, uh, Epaphroditus 
as a minister of God's love. Paul tells us uh, that he is a minister of God's love here. Uh, The Philippians sent Epaphroditus to minister, to serve and care for Paul in his need. and, and, um, And so when he found out, he went straight there and he must have gotten sick. He must have gotten sick either on the way or, or while he was ministering. And Paul calls him a minister or servant to my need at the end of verse 25. And again, this doesn't mean that he was uh, an ordained minister or a deacon. The word that Paul uses here in, in other contexts has the idea of priestly work, priestly service. And... And Paul is saying here then that Epaphroditus is a servant to Paul acting as a priest. His priestly service then to Paul is is then through his faith an act of service to Christ. As an act of worship to God. And this speaks then to the deeper reality that when we serve those who are in Christ, who who we are really serving is Christ. Uh, Matthew 25, Jesus said this of those who, who, who gave uh, food and clothing uh, and visited in prison. To the, Jesus says, that which you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. In the deep mystery of our union with Christ, what we do for our fellow Christians, we do unto Jesus. And that's what the Philippian church is doing for Paul in sending Epaphroditus and Epaphroditus serving Paul. This is what we all do as we minister to one another in each other's needs. Whether it's a home-cooked meal after giving birth or surgery or babysitting kids so mom and dad can have a break. Or it can mean sending money or supplies to our fellow brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, Haiti, Sudan, Ethiopia, we are ministering the love of God in Christ to those, to our fellow brothers in need. And who we are really serving then is Jesus Christ. And this, the flip side to this, and this is just something for you guys to think about, is if you never serve your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, what does that mean? that you're not really serving the Lord Jesus Christ if you're not doing, the le- do, doing these for the least of these, my brethren. So can I challenge you, brothers and sisters, not out of guilt, but out of love for Jesus, to serve one another, to love one another as you do Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you love him. This is one of the reasons why you, can never, you can't say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't love other Christians. I don't love the church. Uh, that's, that is an oxymoron. By definition, you cannot love Jesus if you do not love those who are in Jesus, your fellow Christians. So I wanted to just encourage you that, that as you, when you love your fellow Christians, you will grow in your love for Jesus. It may not be easy, but you will learn to, to, be, to have more grace in your heart, more patience, compassion. And you, in many ways, you know, the difficulties of loving your fellow sinners in Christ shows you how 
you know, the challenges of maybe some of the challenges that other people have to love you. And then you'll know the grace of God even more. But most of all, what has Jesus done for you? He's loved you. He's served you. He's given you all that you need. He died for you. So how ought we to show our love for him? By serving those who are in him. And we will love him, love Jesus. So let's move on here. Uh, Finally, we are humble servants who not only humbly serve one another, but by, we do it by humbly sacrificing ourselves for one another in the gospel. Uh, we have to remember, we have to read all of this in light of Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, where Jesus humbly served in order to save us by sacrificing himself for us. And, and Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We saw this in Timothy's life and his genuine concern for the Philippians and seeking the interest of, uh, not of himself, but of Christ and counting others more significant than himself. And we see this in a very pointed way in Epaphroditus' own life. We see the sacrificial heart of Christ in his life. Look at verse 26. He longs for the Philippians the way that Paul longs for them, which reflects God's own longing for us in Christ, which, which reflects God's longing for us to, to be with him, to have fellowship with him through the gospel. That's why he sent Jesus into the world, because he longs to, to know us, to embrace us, to love us, to care for us. And so, and then Epaphroditus is distressed when he heard that the Philippians knew of his illness. Now, this word distressed here is the same word. It's the only other use of this word uh, outside of Jesus' own anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. That he was, in other words, Epaphroditus was anguished uh, in his heart because he knew that other people were worried about him in his illness. And I think it is the underlying Union and the experience that he has with the heart of Christ. And and so when we deeply feel for one another, it is the Spirit of God connecting us to Christ's own heart for one another. And even as, as Epaphroditus was on death's doorstep, just like Jesus, um, he was concerned uh, of others more than himself. Right? He wasn't worried. I mean, imagine going to see somebody in their deathbed and, uh, and they're, one, they're, they're, they're in anguish because other people are, are sad for them. I think the godliest people I've ever known, even in the, in the midst of their own suffering, their own loss, their own tragedy, they're still more, they still care more about others than they are of themselves. And that's not a coincidence. 
that that's what happened with Jesus. When he was hanging on the cross, suffering, dying, bearing the guilt and, and, and shame of his people, bearing the wrath of God, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He was more concerned about those for whom he would save, those who crucified him, not knowing who he was or, or what he came to do. And so he, he cried out on their behalf, and that's what Epaphroditus is doing as he's, he's, he's sick almost to the point of death. And, of course, then, this, this reflects the heart, life, and mind of Christ. Uh, indeed, Paul says, indeed, he was ill near unto death. The, 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 the exact wording here of near unto death is the exact wording with regards to the death of Christ in verse 8. That Paul is echoing near unto death or even unto death uh, as Christ when he humbled himself even unto death. And, um, and so this reminds us then that he is experiencing the mind of Christ and the life of Christ as he sacrificed himself in the service of Paul and the whole church of, of Jesus Christ, even risking his life uh, in the midst of that work, in the midst of that duty. Uh, one author says this, as a result, uh, he nearly died for the work of Christ. Literally, he drew near to death. And the, this, this, this is identical with the phrasing unto death in verse uh, 2.8. And the reason is because Epaphroditus was following in the great succession. The additional words risking his life tell us more of the man uh, and that he was willing to risk his own life even unto death uh, because he was, because Jesus had died for him. And how could he then not give his life for others. We might say then that he took the calculated risk which involved the expenditure of all he had, talking about Epaphroditus, his very self in response to the worthiness of Jesus. Here's the point, and we'll end here. The point is, is that Jesus laid down his life for us and the more we understand how worthy Jesus is, how much he loved us, how much we ought to risk and to do uh, the work of ministry and to live for Jesus, that we would be willing to risk it all. There are people throughout the world, in Asia, in Africa, in the Middle East, who when they follow Jesus, lose everything. And when they lose everything, they don't shed a tear because they know that Jesus is worth it. And that is the key to being a humble servant of the Lord in Christ Jesus. That if we were to lose everything in order to serve the Lord, is it worth it in your life? Is it worth it in your heart? And for Epaphroditus, it was. Brothers and sisters, may we, may we do the same. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for the good news, the gospel that shapes us, that saves us. Uh, Lord, may, may we see ourselves not as just members of the Church of Jesus Christ, but as fellow brothers and sisters, as fellow workers, as fellow soldiers in the work of ministry and the gospel in this church. We all have our place and role. Help us then to have that humble Christ-like heart to serve one another because Jesus did that for us. Bless us this morning, we pray. Amen.